Good morning. Some of you are rubbing your eyes and checking your glasses. Wondering, has Mike Osborne returned? Has he indeed come out of retirement? I'm sorry to disappoint you, but no. My name is Steve Wiedenmuller, and I am one of the new pastors here. Um, I'd like to indulge you for just a minute before we dig into God's Word, and I'd like to introduce myself a little bit. Um, I think if we're going to walk through life together, um, we should get to know each other. And so um, I hope that at least a little bit of my story will draw us near. Um, We will get to know each other just a little bit. And I pray that over the time that God gives me here, that we will walk together, arm in arm through life, and we will get to know each other and grow close. So, Steve Wiedenmuller. Don't worry about the last name. It's very long, and no one ever gets it right. So, I answered anything. Don't worry at all. Steve, and then make something up and I'll still answer. Um, I am 55 years old and in September I will turn 56. So, how did I get here? Well, I was born and raised in Northern Virginia in Springfield. Um, My parents uh, actually met here in Orlando. They were both in the Air Force. Uh, my brother, uh, who is oldest, and my sister, who is between us, were both born here in Orlando. And uh, I, however, after my dad left the Air Force, he went to uh, Michigan, to Ann Arbor, Michigan, to go to um, the University of Michigan to get his master's in engineering, moved to Springfield, Virginia, where I was born. Raised there for most of my, uh, most of my childhood, um, uh, and in growing up in my house, one of the big significant things was schooling. Uh, my father had a very strong opinion that schooling was kind of the way out. It was the way of the world, that, that you have to do well in school in order to figure out what's next and make money and um, to succeed and survive and so forth. And so schooling was a big deal in my house. And as you get to know me uh, over the next several years, many years, I hope, um, my... Uh, my childhood was not filled with great schooling, but my brothers and sister, they were quite good at it. My brother and sister both graduated valedictorian, both of high school and of college. I did not. <laughs> Just letting you know. Um, so, uh, as we went through life, I went, to, uh, I went to James Madison University. I know some others here as well. We can say go Dukes later, but um, that's where I met my wife of uh, 31 years. Lee, who is just the delight of my eye, um, and I, I wouldn't be here without her. Um, we have two children, Emily, who is 27 years old and was engaged a week ago, two weeks ago, two weeks ago, and Aaron, uh, who is 24, shortly to be 25, I always mess that up, and uh, who is married to this young man sitting down front here, Keenan, my son-in-law. Um, so as, as life went on for, for me, um, I really poured myself into work. Um, if I was not going to be the great student, maybe I could be the great worker and maybe I could achieve life that way. 
and so shortly after I left college, I went to a Bible study with my girlfriend, now wife, and um, while I was working, and I accepted the Lord there as my as my Savior. But I think for some people, the journey of coming to know God and to, to wrestle with faith can be a long one, and that was true for me. It wasn't instantaneous. And as I worked and achieved and worked and achieved and worked and overworked and continued to work a lot more, traveled, was away from my family a great deal, I wrestled with who is the Lord in my life. And then one day, in 2016, I lost my job. And for me, for one who was an overachiever and unconfessed workaholic, that was a huge deal. And it set me back on my heels emotionally much more than financially, and I felt very lost. One day, um, I was in counseling, which I highly recommend, and... uh, One of the guys in this uh, small group session that we had, he told me that I did not know how to accept love. I thought he was nuts. And so, about a week thereafter, I'm sitting on the bed talking to my wife about what's next. I'm unemployed. I don't know what's next. I don't know how to get the next job. I don't know where that's coming from, and that is eating me alive. And she looks at me and she says, I love you. And he was right. I didn't know how to accept love. For me, love was performance. I had to earn it. I had to be about achievement in order to receive love. And so I began to really explore what God has to say about that. And as I did, it drove me deeper and deeper and deeper into Scripture. And as I did, the quest for understanding of who God is in the world led me to make a decision to go to seminary. And so, I walked away from a 30-year corporate human resources job at companies many of you have heard, U.S. Air, Tropicana, Pepsi, others. And I walked away from that because I felt God calling me to seminary. I thought it was the dumbest idea I have ever thought of. And so I actually spent some time trying to find someone to talk me out of it. And to a person, they said, that sounds like a great idea. And so I did. And so I came down here to RTS Orlando and I graduated just this past May with my Master's of Divinity. And I couldn't be happier. And so as we get to know each other, that's a little of my story. And I would love to hear your story and to walk together in this life. Because as we will learn today in today's scripture, life is in fact a journey. So let's dig in. Read with me God's word from Psalm 121. A song of ascents. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. 
Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray. Merciful and gracious Father. The grass withers and the flowers die. But your word, O Lord, will endure forever. May your word soften our hearts and open our minds. May we hear your call in our lives. May we know that your word is good. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So, a little bit more about me. This is just to tell a tale. So, as I said, I was not a great student. And in particularly in fifth grade, I went to a school that had these pods. I don't know if some of you might know that. But it was kind of an open classroom idea. And for a social guy like me, that was a massive mistake. I not only was capable of disrupting my own class, but I could disrupt all the classes in an open pod. For those teachers in the room, I'm sure you're just sweating because, yes, I was that guy. And so my parents wisely, at the counsel of every uh, teacher in this pod, said, we need to do something about this. And so in my sixth grade year, they sent me to a private school. Now, this particular private school was on the other side of town. It was actually quite far. And so they, the, for me to get to school... And my, my parents were both working. My father was an engineer. My mother was a nurse. And so they both worked. And so for me to get to the school was quite difficult. And so the school had a small van that would go around and pick kids up um, for the charge, of course. And uh, it would travel over a long distance because the kids that went to the school were spread out kind of all over the area. Well... Many of you might uh, know that, uh, not here anyway, but places you might come from, it snows on occasion. And so, uh, one particular day, the weather forecaster said it was going to snow. Now, most of the time they were wrong, but in this particular case, it turned out they were correct. The public schools, which oh, you all know panic like crazy and anything like this, they shut down before... The day even started, but the private school thought they were going to outsmart that and have the day. And so I went uh, out to the to the driveway and was picked up by the van that came by and we headed off to school. Well, the the weather people were right in a major way. It snowed and it kept snowing and snowing and snowing. And so finally, the school decided that they would, in fact, close down. And so we got into our small van and started heading out. Now, in Northern Virginia, when it snows, it's a mess. All the roads are shut down and people are sliding out and smashing into each other all over the place. It is crazy. 
And so here we are in this small van full of small kids all headed out to try to get to these places all over town. Well, by the time they got even close to my house, the snow was really bad. The roads were heavy, uh, were covered very heavily and traffic was stopped completely dead. Now, this was prior to cell phones. And so the poor driver of this van had to make a decision on their own. What do I do about this? Now, I don't remember how this went down, whether this was my encouragement or their decision alone. But somehow we ended up deciding that I would get out of the van and walk the rest of the way home. Yes, I know that would never happen today. And so I thought that's pretty cool. I get to sort of be this great adventurer and I'm going to head out into the snow like some sort of Alaskan, you know, wilderness explorer. And so I did. But remember, I'm going to school in this private school where we had to wear nice clothes. And so I'm wearing nice shoes and slacks, a a nice shirt and and not particularly heavy jacket. And so I head out into the snow and I'm at least a mile and a half to two miles from my house. And I start walking. Now, originally, when I start walking, I am full of vim and vigor. Like, I'm excited that I am going to be able to do this and tell this tale someday about what I did. But about a half a mile into it, I began to get very, very cold. And my shoes were soaking wet. And my feet, I think I lost feeling in my legs. I mean, it was getting pretty bad to the point where I remember standing there in the snow, crying, thinking, this is it. I'm going to die right here and they won't find me till springtime. (laughs) But again, I didn't know what to do. No cell phones, no one to call. I just figured I had to keep walking. So I did. I kept walking. And I would stop every once in a while and I would just be sure that that's it. My day is done and I'm finished. But I just kept walking again. And I remembered at one point, my my mother always told me, if you get into trouble in the neighborhood, go to a neighbor. So I thought, okay, that's a good idea. But I don't know that many neighbors. I'm kind of far away. And I remembered I knew a kid who lived somewhat close. And I could remember where he lived. And so I headed out on this adventure to his house. And I, I remember I knocked on the door and his mother answered. And there I stood soaking wet, freezing cold, crying. And she invited me in. And like any good mother, she um, brought me in, dried me off, gave me some new clothes, put the clothes in the dryer, gave me something to eat. She called my mother And said that what had happened and where I was. And you can only imagine the phone call my mother made to the school after that. Um, It was an adventure, to be clear. But this journey that I took, while minor and I think all of us can appreciate and associate with, it is only a minor journey. Because in our passage today, we learn about a difficult journey journey. See, this particular passage is a song of a sense. A a sense meaning it is a pilgrimage or a journey that is taking place. And so life as a journey 
It is the Lord that we need as we navigate this life's journey to its ultimate destination. Being in God's perfect presence in the new heavens and the new earth. The psalmist, I think, makes three points. I'm sure there are others, but there are three I would like to focus on today. That there is purpose in our journey in life. Two, that in God's presence and protection, it is, that is how we journey. And three, God promises in our journey preservation. See, the psalmist begins in verse 1 and 2 with the idea that the journey has already begun. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. This journey has already begun. Now, the journey could either have been out of exile back to Jerusalem, or it could have been a journey to a festival at the temple. Either way, this is a long, arduous, difficult journey. Here, there is some controversy or some discussion as to what is meant by the first couple lines. So, let me take a position on that. I believe, as does a number of scholars, Dr. Furtado being one of them, that I lift my eyes to the hills. It is not the hills that represent where my help comes from. Because there is a period in the following sentence. From where does comes my help? I believe that the scriptures here are saying, I lift my eyes to the hills and it is there that danger will come from. It is there that the struggles and the strife and the difficulties that will come after me are coming from. And so the psalmist cries out, from where does my help come? The psalmist immediately answers his own question. He says, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. There, there is an inherent question kind of baked in here. He, he sort of gives us this idea, this, this sense of why, right? So when you're on these difficult journeys, these, these, these travels of life, and we know that we're in trouble, we know that trouble is coming, we ask ourselves the question, why? Why is it that we may struggle? And strife. And why is it that life is so darn hard at times? You know, I don't know many of you remember the old Sunday drive. Where people used to get in their car after church and they would get, and then they would just go for a drive. No great sense of purpose as to where they would go. They just wanted to go drive around. And they would gather their family and they would get in their car and they would drive. And in a sense, if you'd ask the person driving, where are you going? They would say, I don't know, I'm just driving. But you see, there was great purpose in that drive. That drive brought the family together. Maybe they would talk about the sermon that week. Say, you know, the new guy, I don't know. (laughs) 
maybe they would talk about last week's troubles. What went wrong? What went right? Maybe they would talk about the week ahead. Maybe they would say, this is the exciting thing that's going to happen. Or, I'm really scared. I'm really worried about the week ahead. But in any way you put it, the reality is that drive had great purpose. Even if it didn't have a specific definition. And so, the psalmist, and the inherent question why, is beginning to give us a sense of this journey that we are on. It has purpose. And purposeful journeys, whatever the destination, a purposeful journey by its, mean, by its definition has meaning. Our life, our life's journey by purpose that comes from God gives it meaning. The Westminster Confession of Faith does a great job of sort of describing this quite quickly and quite succinctly in question one. What is our purpose? It says that our purpose is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Life's journey has a purpose. How do we sense that? In what manner does that come out when we get the call from the doctor? Or the police? Or we come home and our house has been robbed or destroyed by fire? There are many things of life that are difficult and tragic and painful and hurtful. Is there meaning in that? I can't begin to understand all of the meaning. And I won't begin to try. But I do know that God has created us for a purpose. And because He has created us for a purpose, He gives us meaning. Life has meaning. The psalmist defines that very easily and very quickly by saying... He worships. He gets his help from the Lord. And not just any God. No. He confirms the true meaning of it and says, He is the one who made heaven and earth. He is the God of all things. Of all creation. And no matter how difficult life might be, in this journey, my God is the one who made all things, controls all things, and brings all things to pass. So we move, as the psalmist moves, into our second point. In God's presence and his protection, we journey through these difficulties. Looking at verses 3 through 6, it's interesting that the word keeps is used so often. In the entire psalm, the word keeps is used six times. In Hebrew, the word keeps can be, can be um, translated as to watch or to guard or to care for, protect, save, preserve. So when God keeps, he watches out. He preserves us. He cares for us. I think it's said very well in... Isaiah 27, 
Um, it says this way. In that day, a pleasant vineyard, sing of it. I, the Lord, am its keeper. Every moment I water it, lest anyone punish it. I keep it day and night. I have no wrath. Would that I have thorns and bears to battle. I would march against them. I would burn them together. The Lord cares for us, prunes us, watches over us in a way that is loving and caring and deep. The psalmist makes this abundantly clear that he who cares for us, he who watches us, does not slumber or sleep. There is no time in which the Lord is not with us. There is no time in which the Lord leaves us. He is there through the hardest of times and through the happiest of times. When I, when, as I said, my parents um, both worked. And so back in the day, they didn't have the whole latchkey kid thing. And so I wasn't allowed to go home by myself because my older brother and sister were in later schools than I in elementary school. And so I had to go to a neighbor's house and, uh, uh, who didn't work. And, and so I went to the Deeper Spiro's house. And um, Bobby was my age and... Um, his father had the coolest job I have ever seen. So what we would do is really fun because he would come home sometimes in the afternoon and, and I would watch him come in the door and he would have a, he would have a routine and he would go immediately in the door and he would go straight to this cabinet and he would pull out his service revolver and he would put it in this cabinet and he would lock it up and then he would lock up the cabinet itself. You see, Mr. Deeper Spiro was a Secret Service agent. And we used to talk all the time about it. And in their house, it was amazing. In their house were pictures of presidents of the United States. Ronald Reagan, George Bush. Um, uh, well, I'm trying to think of the others. Um, well, others. Oh, Jimmy Carter, Gerald Ford. There were pictures of them on the walls. And behind... The president was Mr. DiBospiro. All over the house. It was the coolest thing. And I remember one time asking him, because I had heard this somewhere, and to be honest, it was a foolish question, but I was a foolish boy, so I asked the question. I said, I've heard, Mr. DiBospiro, that you, you would take a bullet for one of these presidents. And he looked at me, in such a way, I, I, I still remember this. It wasn't an aggravated way. It was an astonished way. It was a way in which I asked a question which was so obvious and so plain on the nose and on my face as if, why would you ask such a question? And he said, of course I would. Well, Mr. DiBospiro, who unfortunately died recently, um, he... Uh, he was an amazing man, but he was not perfect in his protection. Unfortunately, Ronald Reagan did get shot. And while as honoring as I am to him and to all the people that protect law enforcement, firemen, everybody, 
that protects, we're not perfect. Only God is the one who shall never slumber or sleep. Only He is perfect in the protection of His creation, of His people as we journey. Life is a 24-7 thing, isn't it? And it would only require 24-7 care and protection that only the Lord Himself can provide. Those calls tend to come at 3 o'clock in the morning. Those difficulties uh, in conversation between you and your spouse somehow always drag into the wee hours. Where is our protection? Where does our help come from? Not from the hills, but from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. His protection is the only hope that will bring us to the ultimate end. God's promise of preservation is for all whom he calls. Our third point. Let's look at verse 7 and 8. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The psalmist begins to make a switch here. He begins to move from the, the here and now of the journey, of the pilgrimage that is taking place, and he begins to look much broader, much bigger. He begins to sort of take the switch that says, what I'm trying to say to you is not just about the walk that you are on. But I'm trying to say to you something about the walk of life itself for all God's people. He says that this will keep you from, and notice the words, all evil. A big word encompassing all things. All evil. And he will keep your life. The psalmist makes the switch here as he moves forward. And, and makes a promise to us. He says, the Lord will keep your going out and coming in from this time forth and forevermore. How can he do that? How can he make that kind of promise? That kind of statement to us that says it's not just about the journey, the walk that you are on. But it's something about life itself and forevermore. Well, the psalmist is relying upon the promises given to his forefathers. The promises of God given to Jacob and Isaac and Abraham that he will be their God and he will walk with them forevermore. But we, we have the promise of Jesus who has fulfilled those promises in the person of Christ himself. We can rely upon that promise in the worst of times when life is so difficult and so hard and the tears come so fast that they seem to run out. We can rely upon the promise that he will lead us home. For those who are in Christ, we shall be made renewed and restored in him. 
Revelation 21 says it this way so beautifully. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. There, there was a time when the GPS, now for the young people, and this is going to blow your mind, there was a time when the GPS didn't exist. And I remember when it first came out. And here's the thing about when it first came out. We had no idea how to use it. And so what was going on at that time, some of you remember, right? What was going on at that time, we would, we would plug these, they were big then, not you know, on your phone. They were quite large. And if you could afford one, you would get this GPS. And people were buying these like crazy. And um, so they would plug in their destination into the GPS and... It would tell you how to get there. This was really cool. And so, for some of you, this is like, yeah, okay, this is about as normal as opening the refrigerator door. But back then, this was a big deal, and so we would follow the GPS. Well, unfortunately, it wasn't all that accurate. And so people were following their GPS off of bridges and into ditches and getting in and, and going right through traffic lights, thinking that somehow this GPS would just lead them to their destination without stopping. People were relying upon that which was created by man to lead them to their ultimate destination. But it's flawed. And it's still flawed, although better, but still flawed. It is only in... Christ, who knows flawlessly the destination. And it is only in Christ that he will lead us to it. For we cannot get there on our own. We have no way of getting in the car and driving to our ultimate destination, no matter how good the GPS might be. Only in Christ and his promise of of preservation in this world, no matter how difficult it may be, that he will preserve us and keep us and watch over us until the end. And that end is the hope that we so desperately cling to. That hope that we will be with him and that we will be in glory with him forever and ever. That is the hope that gets you through the darkest of nights. Yes, my journey in the snow led me safely to home to my mother and her loving arms. But this was temporary. For the next day, we had more struggles and more strives, and I got into more trouble, I'm sure. But through all of life, and in Christ, he is the help that we need. He is 
the author and the perfecter of our faith. And he will navigate us to the ultimate destination. And that is God's perfect presence. Psalm 121 brings to light that we have purpose. That we are not on this journey of life by accident, but it has meaning. Even sometimes when we don't understand that meaning. We are in God's ever-present protection in all of what we do. In everywhere we go. And in Christ, the fulfillment of the promise gives us an eternal preservation. In which our journey reaches its ultimate ends. Where there is no tear And there is no death. And there is no tragedy and difficulty. But only glory to be in his presence. Let's pray. Merciful and gracious Father. It is only in you that we can make it through some days. Honestly, it is only in you that we can make it through any day. For each day has its difficulties and its joys. But you are the author of all these things. You are the one who gives it meaning. You are the one who has given us purpose to glorify you and to enjoy you. Father, I pray for this day that we would find rest and peace in you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.